The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Life of Dieter Dengler It was the 20th of July, 1966, and U.S. Air Force Colonel Eugene Dietrich saw a lone figure waving to him from a clearing below. He was flying on a mission against the Viet Cong over Laos, and he continued on for a while before deciding to turn back. He was over hostile terrain in his SPAD, the nickname for the Douglas A-1 Sky Raider that he flew. So why on earth would someone try to attract his attention? He found the spot again, and flying lower, this time, he saw an emaciated man in rags desperately signalling to him. Beside him were the letters SOS, spelt out with rocks. He reported his sighting, but was told to carry on with his mission. But the sight of this man pleading with him not to leave was so compelling, on his own initiative, he ordered two rescue helicopters to be scrambled. When the man was winched up, he could hardly be heard. But he whispered, I'm an American. Please take me home. The man was Dieter Dengler. It had been 28 years earlier that Dieter had been born in the small German town of Vilberg in the Black Forest. He didn't know his father since he had been drafted into the German army and killed on the Eastern Front during the First World War. He was close to his family, his grandparents, mother and brothers, particularly after his grandfather, Hermann, had refused to vote for Adolf Hitler and was subsequently paraded around town with a placard round his neck to be spat on by the inhabitants. He was then sent to a mine to labour breaking rocks for a year. Dieter grew up in extreme poverty and was apprenticed to a blacksmith who beat him regularly, something, he said, that taught him to be tough and self-reliant. It was watching the Allied fighters during the Second World War, particularly one that flashed past his window, guns blazing, that planted the seed for Dieter's desire to become a pilot. It seemed an impossible dream for an impoverished kid in Germany, but he had spotted an advert in an American magazine asking for young men to volunteer for service. A family friend agreed to sponsor him, and he was taught English by a retired Wehrmacht general. But Dieter lacked money for the passage. In his spare time, he scavenged metal from dumps and sold it until he could afford a ticket. In Hamburg, waiting for the ship to sail, he survived on the streets with no spare money for food, and then in Manhattan he did the same, until he could find a recruiter who would take him seriously. Finally, he was taken into the Air Force. He spent his first couple of years doing little more than peeling potatoes, before he was sent to the motor pool as a mechanic, and then on to become a gunsmith. Although he passed his tests for an aviation cadetship, he was told that only college graduates would be accepted, and then his enlistment was up and he was back on the streets. He worked in a bakery and then managed to enrol in the San Francisco City College where he studied aeronautics. 
After two years of unbelievably hard work, he applied to the Navy Aviation Cadet Programme and was accepted. On his first flight, he knew that air sickness might lead him to being washed out. As the instructor threw the little trainer around, Dieter knew he was going to be sick, so he vomited into his flying boot and then put it back on. His instructor could smell something, but with no evidence, Dieter was allowed to continue. After months of training, he finally graduated with his wings and was overjoyed to be sent for training as an attack pilot on Sky Raiders, and then on to VA-145. In 1965, his squadron joined USS Ranger, and after sailing to the coast of Vietnam, he was moved to Yankee Station for operations against North Vietnam. Weapons and military material were being transported to the Viet Cong forces through Laos, and the Communists were ramping up their infiltration along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. In February 1966, Dengler was engaged on what were then classified missions to bomb the trail in an attempt to halt the flow of supplies. It was dangerous work. His skipper had taken up the first flight and returned with several panels in his wing shot out. Other pilots had already been shot down. Heavily loaded with bombs and fuel, Dieter followed the other three in his formation northwest until they crossed the coast into Vietnam. The weather was bad, with monsoon rains pouring down, and he had to tighten his position up until he was wingtip to wingtip just to see his leader. The weather was so bad they were forced to turn away from their primary target, so they climbed up into clear air and set course for the alternative in Laos. They flew across Vietnam and then halfway over Laos, and eventually the heavy clouds dropped away and the weather improved. Dieter could now see the dense foliage below. There was an occasional row of sharp white-looking cliffs rising at least 2,000 feet into the air, but the rest was just as expected, dark, impenetrable jungle. The air looked dry and tinged yellow from crops burning below. After nearly two and a half hours airborne, they neared the target, and Dengler put his master arm switch to live. The leader called rolling in, and he tried to find the road junction beside the anti-aircraft gun emplacements that were their target. He saw his leader's bombs explode and he rolled into a dive from 9,000 feet to attack the same spot. Just as he inverted to pull down, his sky radar lurched as it was hit, and then he needed both hands on the stick to keep control, but he continued to take aim whilst yelling at the top of his voice. The aircraft jumped as the weight of the bombs disappeared, and as he pulled hard to bring his nose up, Two more blinding explosions threw the aircraft out of control. With his propeller slowing and the noise of his engine dying away, he decided to abandon the Sky Raider, but with more explosions around him, he changed his mind and would ride the machine down to a crash landing. Seeing a long ridge, Dieter thought that if he could make it over, he would be able to land in the valley beyond. Jumping was now impossible. He was too low. He was also too low to get over the ridge, 
but then he jettisoned his fuel tanks and the Sky Raider ballooned up over the trees and he just made it. But in front wasn't the clear valley he hoped for, just more jungle, apart from a small clearing and a few huts. He aimed for the little patch of ground, but he had too much speed and it looked very short. Trying to get down, he hit a large tree and the wounded aircraft cartwheeled into the ground. He was thrown around in the cockpit as the aircraft tumbled on. His helmet was wrenched off with the force of the crash and he could smell oil and petrol from the burst tanks. Then in a blur, he watched the entire tail section of his Sky Raider tumble by, screaming, he was tossed about through endless grinding and tearing until abruptly the world went quiet. Not a sound could be heard. Confused, dazed and hanging upside down, he released his straps and crawled out of the wreckage, stumbling like a drunk to the edge of the clearing. He had survived. For two days he lived on the run in the jungle, strapping his injured left leg with bamboo before he was found by the local Patet Lao, the Laotian equivalent of the communist Viet Cong. They brutalized him and marched him through the jungle. At night he was tied, spread-eagled on the ground to four stakes to stop him escaping, by the morning his face was so swollen from mosquito bites that he couldn't see. He took an opportunity to try to escape, but was soon recaptured. This was when the torture began. They hung him upside down by his ankles and broke a nest of biting ants over his face. The pain of the bites was so bad he lost consciousness. At night... They suspended him in a freezing well, so that if sleep came, he would drop into the water and would wake choking. At other times, he was dragged by water buffalo through villages, his guards laughing and the locals spitting and throwing excrement at him. Tiny wedges of bamboo were inserted under his fingernails and into incisions on his body to grow and fester. They were always thinking of something new to do to me, Dengler recalled. One guy made a rope tourniquet around his upper arm. He twisted and twisted until the nerves ground against bone. Dengler's hand became completely unusable for months. Blooded and broken, he was told to sign a document condemning America for their part in the conflict, but he refused so the torture intensified. Finally, Dengler arrived at his destination, a prisoner of war camp. He had been looking forward to it, hoping to see other pilots, but what he saw horrified him. The first one who came out was carrying his intestines around in his hands. There were six other captives, Four Thais who were captured whilst flying for Air America and two fellow Americans. One had no teeth, plagued by awful infections. He begged the others to knock him out with a rock, then use an old rusty nail to release the pus from his gums. 
The others had been there for over two years, and as Dengler looked at them, he realised that he had to escape. After a while, the food began to run out, and they were given just a single handful of rice to share, whilst the guards would stalk deer. When they shot one, they pulled the grass out of the animal's stomach for the prisoners to eat, and kept the meat for themselves. The prisoners' only treats were snakes they occasionally caught in the latrine, or the rats that lived under the hut, which they sometimes speared with sharpened bamboo. Knights brought their own misery. The men were handcuffed together and shackled to medieval-style footblocks. Amongst their other ailments, they suffered chronic dysentery, and had to lie in their own excrement until the morning. Whilst he was there, Dengler witnessed his captors behead an American Navy pilot and execute six wounded Marines. After several months, food became so scarce that even the guards began to suffer. The prisoners overheard them saying that they wanted to return to their own villages, to cover their abandonment of the camp, they were going to shoot the prisoners and pretend that they had tried to escape. Dengler and the others realised that they would have to fight for their survival, and they began planning an escape. They built a little model of the camp and memorised the guards' movement. They knew that more Patet Lao troops were about a three-hour march away, and they rarely had visitors, so the plan was to grab weapons and take over the camp. Then they would signal to the C-130 flare ship that frequently flew overhead at night. They loosened the posts of the hut by mixing the earth with urine to make the ground soft, and they quietly dug a hole under the fence which they covered with foliage. Their plan was to use the guards' meal time to creep out and grab their rifles when they put them down to get their food. The day before their attempt, Dieter was given a severe beating, for stealing the husk of a corn-cob that had been thrown to a young pig to eat, even though it was covered in excrement. Dieter was dragged out of the hut and beaten with a rifle-butt by one of the guards, and then all the others joined in. The next day the plan was put into action, but they had to abort the attempt when two guards unexpectedly failed to turn up at the kitchen. The following day they tried again, it was do or die, either by gunshot or starvation. Dieter had learned how to undo the handcuffs and released everyone. He was the first out of the compound, crawling under the fence, and he gathered the guns to arm two of the ties who followed him. Then, with the USM-1 rifle in his hands, he made for the guard hut, where they knew they kept a Thompson submachine gun. They didn't want to fire any weapons, since the sound would travel down the valley and alert the villagers there. The next instant, the guards woke up to what was going on and rushed at the prisoners. One fired at Dieter, and the round buzzed past his face, but he squeezed the trigger of the M1 and dropped him with one shot. Then a machete-wielding guard was nearly upon him, but the prisoners kept their heads, killing them as they approached. The guard who had beaten Dieter got to within a few feet, and then Dieter fired point-blank at his bare chest. The blast blew a hole in his body and threw him back several feet. 
the rest of the Patet Lao guards ran for the edge of the clearing. They shot some, but others got away. Dieter realized that their plan must change, and they would have to try to escape through the jungle. They gathered what they could, but the other prisoners had already gone with the best supplies. Dieter and another American, Duane Martin, limped off into the jungle. Soon their feet were white and mangled from stumbling through the thick undergrowth, but eventually they found a fast-flowing river. After building a crude raft, they floated downstream, traversing ferocious rapids. By night they tied themselves to trees, but by morning they would be covered in mud and hundreds of leeches. Eventually they came across a village and crawled in, pleading for food. Within seconds, Duane Martin had been struck down by a machete and beheaded. Dieter summoned his strength and rushed at the villager who ran away. Dieter escaped and continued his tortuous journey. These were his darkest hours. Little more than a walking skeleton, after weeks on the run, he floated in and out of consciousness. Days later... On July the 20th, 1966, Dengler heard that American aircraft overhead. He summed up his last reserves of strength and waved the parachute from an old flare that he'd picked up in the jungle to attract the pilot's attention. He had been on the run for 23 days, and of the seven who escaped, he was the sole survivor. When the helicopter rescued him, he was taken straight to the hospital in Da Nang. Doctors said he might have only survived for a few more hours. He weighed a mere 98 pounds, that's a little over 44 kilos. The Air Force and the Navy argued over who should be responsible for him, but eventually he was sprung from the hospital by a band of fellow airmen and taken back to his ship. When he arrived on board, Dieter couldn't stand, and yet a friend said he had the biggest smile on his face and tears of joy. I'm not sure how anyone ever recovers from an ordeal like that. At night, Dieter was tormented by awful terrors and had to be tied to his bed. In the end, his friends put him to sleep in a cockpit, surrounded by pillows, It was the only place he felt safe. He recovered physically, but never truly put the ordeal completely behind him. He said, Men are often haunted by the things that happen to them in life, especially in war. Their lives come to be normal, but they are not. On returning to the States, Dieter settled in San Francisco, He flew for a while with TWA and then as a civilian test pilot. And although he took early retirement, he continued to fly his beautifully restored Cessna 195. In 2000, he was diagnosed with ALS, an incurable neurological disorder. A man who was no stranger to death and had been awarded the Navy Cross for valour in combat. He rolled his wheelchair from his house down to the driveway of the nearby fire station and at the age of 62, shot himself. 
He was buried in the Arlington National Cemetery with full military honours. A Navy guard was present and a formation of Navy Tomcats overflew his funeral. Dieter Dengler was finally at rest. If you enjoyed this story, I'd be very grateful if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.